jot down a ways in it, down to verse 7, but I think for the sake of some that were not here, we'll go ahead and just briefly recap down to verse 7 in the 103rd Psalm, and then go ahead and expound the rest of the chapter. This is a praise from a mature saint, one that's grown a bit in the things of God. This psalm is a miniature Bible, actually. And we find in verse 1 that we deal with wholehearted praise. Notice it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. And our praise, our thanks to God should be wholehearted. You know, half-heartedness is not good in anything. You have people that are half-hearted in their work, half-hearted in their school, half-hearted in what things they do, and that, that doesn't accomplish very much. And certainly in the things of God, it doesn't accomplish very much. And uh, it's kind of like when James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so we don't want half-heartedness. We want to be fully for God and let our heart overflow with blessings and praise to God. Sometimes that's hard to do when we think of uh, the uh, problems and trials that we have or the negative side of our lives or depression that comes. But still, it does good for us to bless the Lord. And if we'll say, bless the Lord, O my soul, just dig deep down into your soul and say, all that is within me, bless His holy name. And when we realize who God is, and start blessing Him in that way. And then we, we want to see the personal benefits, beginning with verse 3. Let's read verse 2 first. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. We're told not to forget His benefits. And what are His benefits? Beginning with verse 3. And we've already expounded some of these things. First of all, He forgives sin. It says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. What a great blessing this is to know that our sins are forgiven. When you do wrong, when you've sinned, and you feel the guilt of sin, and you know that, that fellowship is broken with God, what a terrible and awful feeling you have. But when the Bible says... Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we need to confess sin, but God is faithful in forgiving all our iniquities. That's one of the personal benefits. And then it says in verse 3, Who healeth all thy diseases. You know when a child of God gets sick, when you have a problem, when you have a physical uh, ailment or uh, something that's happened to your body, you need to pray. And God is bigger than all of our diseases, and He's able to heal all of our diseases. When the first little thing happens to me, I begin to pray about it. And lo and behold, eventually, maybe sooner, the Lord removes it. He'll help me with that, with that problem. And it doesn't mean that we should neglect taking care of it. He expects you to do something about it. You know, uh, Louise used to call someone, uh, there's a certain one of our family, I think uh, Nancy knows who it is, lives in Brownfield. <laughs> anyway, she'd talk to her and she'd say, well, have you done anything about it? She'd complain about her arthritis or, or this or that. Other. Well, do you take any medication? No. Uh, have you been to the doctor? No. Do you put any uh, Bengay lotion on it? Or do you put any, uh, any arthritic cream? Or do you take any Advil or an aspirin or something? No. Well, you, if you just sit there, you know, you, the Lord might let you suffer a little longer. 
And uh, But He's able to heal our diseases, but He doesn't expect us to just sit by and do nothing about it. If we have a problem, let's try to figure out the best way to take care of it. And then ask Him to, to do something about it, to help us. It says that the Good Samaritan, he found the man wounded and half dead. And what did he do? He said, okay, God's going to take care of you. No, he poured in oil and wine. And he took him to the inn. And he says, take care of him till I come again. And whatever he owes, I'll pay you. He knew that man needed medication and prayer. And so put in prayer with the medication. And take care of both ends of it. And the Lord will take care of you. So pray about your physical needs. And uh, he, he healeth all thy diseases. And it doesn't limit him to means to heal those diseases. He has various ways of healing diseases. And uh, the Bible tells us he's given us doctors. Jesus said, those that, are, those that are whole need not a physician, but those that are sick. So what he was saying that those that are sick do need a physician, right? And uh, Luke is called the beloved, uh, the beloved physician. And uh, so we, we know that Luke was uh, a doctor. And by the way, you can detect it when he starts writing about the birth of Christ. And he's the one that definitely points out the nature of the birth of Christ, virgin birth, so that he will there will be no doubt about what he knows about Christ being born of a virgin. All right, and let's go on with this. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> who redeemeth thy life from destruction. He redeems from destruction. When we would be destroyed, He has all kinds of uh, way of delivering us and redeeming us from destruction. In the past, He has, and in the present, He does, and in the future, He shall. Remember, I gave you a text one time in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, that says, He delivered us from so great a death. That's past. Delivered. Past tense. And doth deliver. That's present tense. In whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. That's future. So He's the great deliverer from all kinds of destruction and from everything. In verse 4, Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. He crowns our lives. He rewards us too, finally, with incorruptible crowns. Paul said that others do the things they do to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. We serve God because we know that He has an incorruptible crown for us. And we're not doing it just for that, but we know that God is faithful and rewarding, and He will crown. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness. This is a crown of life now. And, and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. He satisfies both soul and body. He satisfies our mouth with good things, and He satisfies our spiritual needs so that there's complete peace and calm of soul. The Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Now listen, because he trusteth in thee. You see, it's by faith. So, let's keep our mind stayed upon God. Let's keep our faith in God. And then we'll have that perfect peace that, as Paul said in, Paul said in the New Testament, passeth all understanding. And look at this, verse 5. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. You know, everyone uh, through the years has been looking for the fountain of youth. But God is only the only one to able to restore you and to restore your youth. And that doesn't mean that the process will be completely changed, but it does mean that, that He will uh, completely give you the strength as it is needed 
And it says that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. So that there will be a renewal in your life as you go along. Even though you grow older, there will be the renewing that God gives. By the way, there's a renewing of the Spirit too that we need. And it says our inward man is renewed day by day. So though the outward man perish, the inward man can be renewed day by day. And then let's go on. It says in verse um, 6, The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. The Lord looks upon and protects and cares for the oppressed. When people are oppressed, sometimes others take advantage of them. Have you ever seen people that were un- that were oppressed or down financially or physically or in some ways, and then others seem to just glory in that and take advantage of them in that situation. Don't ever think just because someone's down you should take advantage of them because then's when they need help. In other words, say for instance that I'm down financially and I have something to sell you and maybe the, the item is worth three or four hundred dollars and you think because I'm down you ought to give me twenty for it. There's a lot of people who do that. Well, if I'm down and it's worth three or four hundred if I see a person down and some something is worth so much money, I'll say, look, let me give you a little more for that. Instead of less, have you ever thought about doing it that way? God might just bless you for it. It's, a, it's an opportunity for you to help them without making them feel bad. They, and they can say, well, no, I just only want, want it what it's worth. And then, of course, uh, uh, the item may be sold then for... Two or three hundred dollars, which is good for them and you both, see. And God has blessed you with something that was worth the money, and He's given them something that probably they couldn't have sold otherwise. But to expect to find, you know, I've heard people brag about how great a bargain it was a steal. Well, probably that's what it was, too. See, there's a way of doing things. Uh, the Lord executes, look, righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Now, if the Lord does that, we ought to take a, uh, an example from the Lord and learn how to treat people that are oppressed. In verse 7, He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. We expounded that at great length in our last lesson because we showed that uh, Moses wanted to know what God wanted him to do. He wanted to know His ways. And the people of Israel wanted to see miracles. And if God... Uh, could not sustain them by miracles. They didn't want to have anything to do with knowing how to follow God and walk in His ways. Do you know there's a lot of people that only want a special miracle when they have a need? Remember Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And a sign is a wonder or a miracle. And He said, There shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And He says, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he's saying that the only sign that he was going to give to them was the sign of his death and burial and resurrection of which Jonah typified. And so that's enough. That's enough sign. If you want a sign, someone says, I wish the Lord would show me a sign. He did show you a sign. He showed you a sign how that he was crucified on the cross. He was buried in Joseph's new tomb. And the third day he rose again. What more? What more sign and greater sign should you want? That should be sufficient. Then he said in verse 8, look here. uh, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Notice how 
He is slow to anger. Know how, notice how He is merciful and He is gracious. We preached on God with us this morning. God with us. God is showing His, His majesty and with us showing, is showing His mercy and His grace. The very fact that Jesus came to this earth and became man and then turned around and extended His salvation to us by grace that He had purchased on the cross shows that He is merciful and gracious. But the Bible says here too that He's slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. In verse 9, look at verse 9. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. I want you to notice that. God does not hold a grudge. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. Some people always holding a grudge or always saying uh, that they're going to get even. In Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, For his anger endureth but a moment. Think of what would happen if God's anger against sin endured longer than but for a moment. Judgment would sure to fall, and, and, and we would be in a terrible strait, wouldn't we? But God is merciful to us, isn't he? All right, look at verse uh, 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He deals with us completely through grace. If God dealt with us according to our sins, it would be justice and it would be judgment as a result. But He, he hath not dealt with us after our sins. If every time you had sinned, and you do sin, as Christ, even as a Christian, and God dealt with you in judgment and dealt with you after your sin, we would always be in terrible uh, problems. And, and we would always be uh, receiving the chastening hand of God to the extreme. Because our sins are greater than his chastening. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. But he is forbearing and long-suffering even in doing this. Have you ever seen parents? Parents, they have the children. And children will start, uh, you know, doing things wrong. And they'll say, Now, son or daughter, and they'll call the child by name. Do not do that. They're long-suffering. They're bearing with them. They're trying to get them to not do wrong before they have to take uh, more severe measures. Please don't do that. And maybe go with them three or four times. And then finally it gets to the place that you know they have to do something about it. That's the way God does with us. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Then the reward would be simply judgment. But it says, but He has other kinds of rewards for us. And it says in verse 11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His uh Mercy toward them that fear Him. His mercy is greater because as the heaven is higher than the earth, He knows all about our sins and He deals with us in mercy. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. Well, the word fear means to reverence God. How many people fear the Lord? We talk about fear. It's used in different ways. We fear uh, We fear poverty. We fear uh, suffering. We fear pain. We fear... Uh, Trials, we fear death. But the fear is talking about those that fear Him means to reverence Him. Those that see that He is God and we're man, that we're human beings, that we are sinful, and that we reverence Him. And if we come into God's presence, I mean, you've seen movies of, of where there would be a king on a throne and some of the old-time movies where they would come in and bow down before those kings or they would stand silently before them or sit silently or kneel silently 
until they were spoken to, to, to arise or whatever. Well, see, they're standing in awe in the presence of, of uh, dignity, in the presence of power. Well, if that's true in earthly realms, how much more should you and I stand in awe at the presence of God to them that fear Him? So God is the one that we're to, to fear. His mercy toward them that fear Him. And it's for those that fear Him. In verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. He knows how to hide our sins. God can... He has hidden our sins. The Bible says that He's blotted them out as a thick cloud. The Bible says that He has buried them in the depths of the sea. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. That's what it says here. The Bible says in another place that their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, God has the power to remember everything, but He has the power to say, I will not remember them against them anymore. You and I say, well, we will not remember, but we do remember. We have that old worm of memory that disturbs our mind. In fact, that's going to be one of the things that torments the ungodly in eternity. Remember the rich man? And Father Abraham said, Son, remember. What did he say? That thou in thy lifetime. He called him back to the, this life. That thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Son, remember. The memory of the, of the opportunities that people have is going to be a worm that will eat away throughout eternity. You're going to remember that you had an opportunity to be saved. You're going to remember that you had an opportunity to, to, to serve God. You're going to remember that you had opportunities in this life to do differently than you've done. So that makes this life more serious, doesn't it? That makes this life more uh, important. The Bible tells us that we shall give an account of the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. And we shall all stand or all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So... God has the power to do away with our sins and not remember them, but that we have the power to remember and He wants us to remember. And God can either remember or not remember. Isn't it great that God has the power to do the opposite of what He has all power to do? He has all power to remember all things from the beginning to the end. But He has all power to say, I'm going to dismiss this part of it and block it out and I'll not remember it against these children whom I have forgiven of their sins. We can't do that, but God can do that. He said, I'm not going to hold it against them anymore. I'm going to put it out of sight and out of mind. And I'm going to bear their sins in the depths of the sea and blot them out as a thick cloud, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And notice, it, it doesn't say as far as the north is from the south, but as far as the east is from the west. So far have they removed our transgressions from us. If he said the north, you could go to the North Pole and you'd catch up with them. If he said the south, you'd go to the South Pole and you'd catch up with your sins. But he says as far as the east is from the west. We have the saying that says, east is east and west is west, west and never the twain shall meet. You start going around this globe, this earth, and you start traveling east and you'll be traveling east as long as you live. You get right on the equator and that line just goes round and round, doesn't it? Or the vice versa. If you go west, you'd still be going west. But we say the eastern countries, the western countries, because we use two sides of the globe to point out. But still, you keep going as far as direction is concerned. You never change directions. So, we find that God's Word is very 
definite, is it? In verse 13, it says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He has pity like a father. In Malachi 3, verse 17, it says, I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that sinneth, or that serveth, I should say, that serveth him. I will spare them as a father, as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. So if we serve God, he pities us. And like a father, he pities us. And like a father pities his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And the reason, verse 14, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He considers how frail we are. Have you ever thought about, you know, you wouldn't take advantage of some frail little child and not show them pity, or some weak person that was frail, and a great robust man would not attack a little frail individual. But God looks upon us. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers how frail we are. The Bible tells us how frail we are in, in many ways. In Deuteronomy 5, let me read a few verses. In Deuteronomy the 5th chapter, verses 27 through 29, it says, Go thou near, and hear all that the Lord our God shall say, and speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee, and we will hear it and do it. Israel said they would hear and do all the law that God had given. And the Lord heard the voice of your words, and Moses reminding them that they said this, When you spake unto me, and the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken unto thee, they have well said all that they have spoken. And then in verse 29, listen. Oh, that there were such an heart in them. God knows how frail they were. They said, oh, we'll keep all that law. And God says, oh, that there were such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. God says, oh, I wish that were true. How often we've said or dedicated and promised and vowed and not kept it. But God knows that maybe we had good intentions. Remember, oh, Simon Peter, he says, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. And Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan had desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat. But when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Simon Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go. Jesus remembered how frail he was. He says, the devil's going to sift you and his sifter. Sift you as wheat. And when the wheat is sifted and all the dust and the the chaff comes out, there'll be nothing left but the pure grain. And old Simon turned out to be pure grain. And he says, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. He didn't mean converted as to be converted to salvation. Simon was already saved. I heard preachers, you know, say, well, that proves you can be saved and lost if Peter hadn't repented uh, and been converted. Well, he, he wouldn't have made it to heaven. Not, that's not even what Jesus was talking about. He had no danger of losing his salvation whatsoever. All he was in danger of is, is finding out his own weakness and finding out that he needed God's strength. When thou art converted, when you've uh, gone through all of this and you've seen that your, your strength was not enough and you had to depend upon my strength, well, then you strengthen the brethren and you tell them that you couldn't depend upon your own. And then, let's go on with this. It says uh, in... Uh, Psalm 103, verse 14, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. God knows how frail 
we are. And he knows how short our life is. Look at verse 15 and 16. Let's read both of these. As for man, his days are as grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. He knows how short our life is. James says, For what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth a little while, a little time, and then vanisheth away. I remember Mother used to put that old tea kettle on the wood stove to heat the water. Now we turn the electric burner on or the gas, one of the two. But that old wood stove, and it'd take it for a while, and it'd get to heating. And first thing you know, that uh, tea kettle would start steam out of it. They didn't whistle in those days. They put the whistles on them later. But they just steamed. You could see the steam coming out. Then it was time to use it. And it, that steam would come up, and it just appeared a little while, then it was gone. Gone. Evaporates in the room. And man's life is like that. Our life is just up one moment and then pretty soon it vanishes away. And that's what God says here. As for man, his days are as grass as the flower of the field. So it flourishes like the flower out in the field. You see the flower come up and it blooms and all of a sudden you say, well, that flower's gone and you pinch the top off and here comes another one, a new one, and it's gone pretty soon. How many of you have you put these petunias out in the, in the spring of the year? early part of the year and you find them coming up and they'll bloom you know and then you peach that and off it's gone and here comes another one that's the way we are and like grass the grass now is all dead isn't it you look out on these vacant lots and you see that old dead grass because it's winter time and it's gone to seed and it's died out man is like that it says the wind passeth over it and it is gone and the place thereof shall know it no more one of these days our life will be spent the Bible says that we spend our lives as a tale that is told. It's like a story. You're writing a book now with your life. What kind of story is it going to tell? What's going to be the story of your life as far as God is concerned and as far as you serving God is concerned? How did it start out? Well, you say it started out pretty rough. You say, finally, I trusted the Lord. I was a young age, or maybe you was 20 or 30. Maybe you uh, were middle-aged or older. But finally you trusted the Lord. Well, how's it been since then? Been serving God? Has the story changed and does it end up with a good ending? How's it going to end up? You know, I've always been concerned about how things end up. I've always been concerned about how things are finished. You may start out pretty rough, but if you correct things along the way and you get it right, you make everything square and level, when you finish the house, you can be, be able to trim it out pretty good. It'll look all right. But if you started out crooked... And you start out this and that and the other and say it doesn't make any difference. I used to work for a man and he said up here right above where Randy lives. And he had plenty of coins, plenty of money. And he said, I want every layer of the house to be done right. I mean, you know, carpenters will say, well, you'll never see that. Well, I don't care if you can see it or not. I want a nail there. Just because a stud is in the wall and you put a six-penny finish nail in the bottom, it doesn't mean it didn't need a couple of sixteens or maybe... uh, a 16 on each side of it to hold it in place because the thing might take a notion to shift a little bit or it might stay there, it might stand but I like to know what it is on the inside as well as what it is on the outside I've seen guys that put this Celotex on the wall on the outside well never mind, we're going to put siding over that and put about 6 or 8 nails in it say we'll nail it when we nail the siding yeah but you didn't nail the Celotex 
You didn't put any nails in that. Nail every layer of it. Make, it. make sure everything is right. Try to make it right from the start to the finish. If you spend your life as a tale that is told and it's very short-lived, make sure you live it right. Ask God's help to, to live it right. We all need that help. So we need to walk right and to live right. And then it says in verse uh, 17, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him. Notice that word fear again. Upon them that reverence Him. Upon them that stand in awe at Him. And notice, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. He's always been merciful. He continues to be merciful. And He shall always be merciful. It's from everlasting to everlasting. To all generations of men. To you and I. To you and I through all of our lives. To the ones before us through their lives. To the ones that will come after us in their lives. God's mercy is a part of Him. And He's extended it to frail, feeble uh, man. Then it says, uh, Upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children from one generation to the other. God makes you and I righteous by Christ. He gives us God He gives us God's substituted righteousness or imputed righteousness. And then He extends that to the, our children when they're brought up right and they accept Christ. Well, His righteousness is unto them. And His righteousness rules in this world. Sometimes we think, well, the devil has this world. No, he doesn't. God has it. The devil likes to claim it, but his is a false claim. You know, there's a lot of people, remember when they used to claim these mining places, and they say, I staked out that mine and it's mine. Some of them would issue false claims, and they'd claim a mine that didn't belong to them, or a piece of land that didn't belong to them, and, and have all kinds of false claims. Well, there, the devil has plenty of, plenty of false claims in this world, but God, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. See, we all belong to God, and everything in this world belongs to God. And then it says, His righteousness unto children's children. Verse 18, look at this quickly. Verse 18. To such as keep His covenant, and to those that remember His commandments to do them. To those that are obedient to Him, He's going to also uh, reward them with mercies and righteousness. To such as keep His covenant. God has made a covenant with us. In the New Testament, He's made a covenant of grace. In the Old Testament, it's a covenant of works and of the law. And then it says, to those that remember His commandments to do them. In the Old Testament, they had the commandments to live by. And they tried to live by them, but the commandments showed that they had fallen far short. And in the New Testament, we find that we do His commandments. And that is to obey Jesus and obey His Word. And He has fulfilled all the law that was against us and in every way. And therefore, we simply are obedient to Him. In Romans chapter 8, it says, For what the law could not do... Now listen, here's what the law could not do. In that it was weak through the flesh. It didn't mean that the law was weak, but the flesh was weak and couldn't obey the law. In that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, without sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. It says, He sent His own Son, an offering for sin, a sacrifice for sin, that we might uh, have the righteousness of God, and that we might 
have the fulfillment of the law that Christ fulfilled for us. When any individual man or person says, well, you know, I've kept the law. Well, question mark. No, you really haven't kept it. Or have you kept all the commandments and all the law? No. But I have kept the law. How? Through Christ. He kept it for me. And He gave, them, gave, gave that keeping to my, my benefit. And He redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. And then we come to this verse. In verse 19, The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. Where is God's throne? It's in the heavens. In another place it says He has prepared His throne for judgment. His throne is in the heavens and His throne is for judgment. Uh, His kingdom ruleth over all. There will be a day that He will rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. In verse 20 it says, Bless the, bless the Lord ye His angels. Even the angels are called upon to bless the Lord. That excel in strength His mighty angels are admonished to praise the Lord and to bless the Lord. And then it says, That do His commandments, they obey Him, hearkening unto the voice of His Word. If angels listen to the voice of God's Word, how much more should men on this earth hearken to the voice of His Word? Angels in heaven listen to His Word. They take God at His Word. They obey His Word. They do as they are instructed. Well, then man is the rebellious creature, isn't he? He doesn't do as he's instructed. He disobeys God's Word, and he rejects God's Word, and he rebels against it many times. Then it says in verse 21, Bless ye the Lord, all ye His hosts, ye ministers of His that do His pleasure. Universal praise is called for. All all ye His hosts, and ye ministers of His that do His pleasure. Then it says in verse 22, and we'll close with this, Bless the Lord, all His works in all places... Of His dominion. God's dominion is in heaven and in earth. All His works in heaven and in earth, in all the places of His dominion, and then it ends with this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's the way it started out. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 